Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Sage Advice Podcast. Today, I'm so honored and blessed to have an amazing performer with me, Olive Glass. Hello. How are you today? Hello. I'm doing great. How are you? Just really amazing. Just blessed every day. So (laughs) I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell them, you know, who you are and what you do and what you're all about. Yeah. Um, my name is Olive Glass and I'm a performer. I've been performing for, oh God, the math isn't mathing. I was 19 <laughs> when I started and I'm 33 now. So for a while, uh, I've been modeling and doing um, porn and I'm also a painter. I have a lot of stuff that I do. <laughs> so I, I do a little bit of everything creatively. And uh, yeah, I live in Portugal with my cat. That's amazing. Portugal. That's how did that come about? Because, um, you know, it being over here and you kind of follow politics and it seems to get more and more dire and there's threats always looming over our heads of are they going to make porn illegal or yeah, <laughs> what rights are they going to take away tomorrow? <laughs> so Portugal, I've heard from a lot of different people that it's kind of a bastion of I don't know, liberty in some ways, but how how did you end up over there? I, you know, started off, I was living in Vegas and just wasn't happy with uh, the U.S. and how they handle sex work in general or really anything like queer people or um, sex workers or, you know, just there's so many aspects of um, my life and a lot of people's lives in the U.S. that just feels very oppressive. So I started looking for other places in the world and Portugal kept popping up. They have amazing healthcare. They are very open-minded when it comes to sex workers. Um, You know, prostitution is now like legal. There's a lot of protections that go along with that. And when I was applying for my residency, I literally submitted my OnlyFans tax paperwork as my job and they had absolutely no issue with it. Oh my God, yeah. can you imagine? Like I was <laughs> sitting over here like, can't even imagine this. I know, <laughs> it's wild. So you could just, so you could just like look this stuff up on the internet and then fill out a form and be like, can I come and be a citizen of your country? And they're like, submit this stuff and sure. Yeah, so uh, how it worked is I applied for what's called a digital nomad residency, which is um, basically I work on OnlyFans is like my main full-time thing at the moment. Since COVID, that's kind of just been my like, that's been my standard staple. And they have this thing called the 
digital nomad visa. It's fantastic. And you just submit saying that you work mostly online and it really doesn't matter what it is as long as it's consistent and you're paying taxes. Digital nomad visa and then you just apply and you can stay there as long as you want. Yeah, it goes for about two years. And um, after the two years, I'm going to kind of feel it out and see if I want to stay longer. You know, I really don't want to go back to the U.S. at this rate with um, how how it's looking over there. <laughs> like, like I, I have yeah. no interest in how dangerous it is, how few protections yeah. people who, you know, are anything like me have. <laughs> and so I'm just going to try to stay in Europe. Um, the sexuality here is very, it's just like the, the stigma about sex, the stigma about, um, you know, sex workers, uh, just there's there's so much about sexuality here that has been destigmatized. Um, I think the cultures are just a lot older and they uh, have seen a lot more and they just don't have yeah. the same hangups that people in the U.S. do yeah. and the government in the U.S. does. Um, and it, yeah. I feel like it fits me better. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like it would fit most of us better for those reasons. <laughs> yeah. But it... it it can be hard to get away for just for also a variety of reasons. I mean, it's the same thing where it's like, you know, so in this country now, uh, there are many states that made abortion illegal. <clears throat> and, um, you know, you could tell someone like, well, just move to another state or just go there to get your medical care. And it's like, you know, it's really a privilege to be able to say that yes. because it just does not work that way for a lot of people. So, but uh, I want to go back a little bit. You said that sex work is legal is it legalized and regulated in portugal or is it decriminalized okay What's, so what does it look like there? i was under the impression up until today actually that it was decriminalized and then i was talking to a friend of mine who is like a citizen grew up here and they said just recently yeah. it became legal like you now if you you know i i'm not sure okay. all the things that go along with this and i'm sure it has its own problems but now if you are um an escort, uh, then you have like a legal job, you pay taxes, it's, it's all above, like, you know, above the table, like you, uh, yeah. you have places where you can go test, there's, there's place, there's like health centers specifically for people who are um, doing, you know, any, any kind of sex work. Uh, so that was really neat. I, I I wasn't aware of that. I thought it was just decriminalized up until literally a few hours before I, I got on here with you. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's and there really are so few places on the planet that are like that. And so Portugal and then <clears throat> you know, we got obviously Amsterdam and um New Zealand. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh yes, New Zealand uh decriminalized full service sex work in two thousand three. Oh wow. Can you believe that? Good for them. <laughs> two thousand three. And so they have now, you know, 20 years of uh, numbers, data, research to show how it, you know, makes people's lives better. Yeah. Yeah, that's phenomenal. <laughs> Across the board. Yeah there, yeah, there is a rule here that there's no, um, like, like any kind of, uh, I don't know a better word for it, pimp. I don't know. I'm not really Pimping. Sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, like. You can have, like, management that's taking part of your yeah. money and running things for you and stuff like so that. So that's illegal here. Yeah. 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 And I, I believe it's the same thing in New Zealand, although I know that they have 
legal like brothels, but somehow they, they get around that. It, it's probably has to do with paperwork. Yeah, exactly. Cause I, <laughs> I was talking to somebody here and they're like, well, you know, it's legal, like, uh, like sex work is legal, but you can't have brothels. And I was like, that's actually, I know a lot of, you know, people who love working in brothels and exactly, it's, a, it's yeah. a huge level of safety for them and comfort. Exactly. And so I'm like, okay, so the, yep. the idea that it's legal is awesome, you know, or decriminalized or whatever it is. I need to look into it after this. Um, yeah. But like the fact that you can't choose to be working, you know, in a brothel or something like that is, yeah. uh, is unfortunate. I, I haven't had any experience in that particular realm. I work only in um video and stuff like that um i've done like live performances but i feel like that's kind of a different thing as well but i do love as an OnlyFans uh creator and as a porn performer um being able to very openly say what i do for a living and literally nobody cares here like i in the yeah in the u.s you know i i would i would go out to like have a few drinks with friends or whatever and somebody would say like you know what do you do for a living? And, and when I lived in the U.S., there's absolutely no way that I would tell them that I was an OnlyFans model or that I worked in porn because that was opening up me for like, or opening opening me up for um, like literal violence <laughs> right then and there. Yeah. Uh, so I was always really yeah. cautious. And here, the first time I just like accidentally let it slip. They're like, what do you do for work? And I was like, oh, you know, I run an OnlyFans. And I was like, why? Why did I say that to them? And it was like a stranger. Right. It was a man. I didn't know this person. And they're like, cool. And that was the, that they're like, oh yeah, this is what I do. And I was like, that, this is normal. This is, and you know, I was expressing uh-huh. that to a friend, like how shocked I was. And she was like, yeah, like you have a job and you pay taxes. I don't really see what the issue is. It blows my uh-huh. mind. <laughs> I was like, like the freedom. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, so you can just have a bank account? <laughs> like, yeah. You can just like apply for housing, and when they say where do you make your money, you can say OnlyFans. That's fans, what and I'm I like, did. Sweet. It's crazy. I can't believe it. <laughs> I was trying to explain to people. I was yeah. like, you know, if I said the same things I was saying to you in the U.S., I could lose my bank, my where I live, like my friends. If I have another job, I could lose my job. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's so many aspects yeah. that they just don't even realize are a thing. Um, so yeah, it's been really yeah. refreshing since I've been here. Not me over here being a little jealous, but it's cool. come visit. Just come visit me. <laughs> well, that is definitely the plan. I just came back from five weeks going all over Europe, but I didn't get to uh, Spain or Portugal. So, like, we were making future Europe plans, and Spain and Portugal is like where we want to go next time. Ooh, so lovely! That would be great. We will get together finally. Yeah, I know finally. <laughs> Make something happen. Yeah. <laughs> I talk about this a lot, but I just, I really, when I think about the United States' hangups when it comes to human sexuality, I just go back to the origins of the country and you think about who came here and founded this country and escaped their own form of oppression in, in like England and then came here and it was Puritans. It was people who believed that, you know, sexuality was something that needed to be relegated only to, you know, missionary position and only for making babies. And And it was so shameful, so embarrassing and shameful. Oh, yeah. And that has perpetuated for, you know, the hundreds of years. Uh, And 
we just can't get away from it. <laughs> like, and there have been movements in the past and times when it seemed like maybe we could collectively get beyond that, then they always just grab it, pull it back in. And <laughs> I mean, there's a lot so. to be made, a lot, a lot of money to be made off of um, shaming people about something they do very naturally. So, you yeah. know, I think the U.S. is really big into making money. They love that. They love that shit. <laughs> Number one. And a really great way to make people give you money. I mean, the church, like, knows all about this. There's a huge history in yeah. um, most religions, Catholicism being, like, a really big one of, um, you know, mm -hmm. if you make people feel bad, that, that original sin, you can cash that in. Yep. And that's real good money. Yeah. <laughs> so real good money. You know, they Yeah, if it's you tell people that they have a problem and that the only solution is me. I've got the solution to this problem that I'm made up that you have. Yeah. <laughs> and you know who told me? Uh some some guy up up in up in the clouds. I don't know. Yeah, the floaty guy. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, and then and it's fine. And here's here's my thing with all that. It's like if you want to believe that stuff, like I could care less. Like I just it doesn't matter to me what you want to believe. That's so cool if it works for you. But then when you take it and you infect yes. everyone else, like you try to make legislation for the country, for everyone else yep. to have to adhere to your belief system. That's when I have a freaking problem with it. Like, and to me, like making sex work illegal in the first place, that was, that's just a, you're, you're oppressing me with your beliefs that there's something inherently wrong with sex work. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. For me, I don't think that. So why do I have to live by those rules? Especially because you're a consenting adult working with consenting adults uh -huh. and uh, there's uh -huh. literally nothing wrong. And I agree. Like, I don't care what people believe just don't hurt others and when you oppress them that is hurting them and that's affecting their quality yes. of life uh, on varying degrees from you know just an irritating to to like full-on mm -hmm. violence and it's oh, yeah, not violence, acceptable yeah. No. and it, yeah it seems like it's just very um that puritanism is is like yeah it runs very deep in the u.s and it's uh yeah yeah it's a lot to handle <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to handle and um and it and it hurts it does it does cause violence in so many different ways mm -hmm. um and even when you just you know you empower you empower the people who enforce these laws yeah. to use violence, to look down at on people, uh, the savior complexes and, you know, sexual assaults from police and, and things like this. It's just, it gets so, uh, it, you know, and all of these these human rights organizations, Amnesty International, um, like international organizations on human rights, all collectively say that sex work should be decriminalized. Yeah, and these are these are organizations that want to make life better for for people. <laughs> uh, 
it just feels like we should listen to them. I don't know. Yeah, I fully agree. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> so crazy. I mean, with the Puritan thing, you know, Thanksgiving is coming up. And I think that something mm-hmm. to reflect on is like what we're celebrating, why we're celebrating it, and maybe how to change what it is we're celebrating and what it is we're giving our energy to. And maybe like what I've done uh, instead of celebrating Thanksgiving is, um, you know, I might meet with friends, but I have a, like this, this year, for example, I'm doing um, like a, a fundraiser on my Etsy where I sell my paintings and the, the money is going to be going to, um, an African-American genealogy association because there were slaves during the first Thanksgiving. And a lot of them, people, you know, it's hard to trace your lineage back. And I think that's really important. And also um, a Native American group. And, you know, it's just like when the Puritans came to the U.S., they squashed a lot of people (laughs) in a lot of ways. (laughs) And, you know, sex workers are one of those kinds of people. And then uh, there's the more obvious ones like the indigenous and and black people. So I think it's like, you know, with the holidays coming up, it's a great time to reflect on what it is you're celebrating and maybe change some things about it and maybe just if even if you're going to the celebrations and you know having the holidays with your family or friends just kind of know in your mind that what you're celebrating is something different like maybe donate yeah. to a charity or a you know a nonprofit that that needs it or if you are a fan of porn then simply like you know go on Twitter and retweet your your favorite sex workers or tip them a little extra or do something that yeah. helps the people who have been affected by that Puritan re- regime, I think would be really an awesome way to change Thanksgiving into something good. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I, I love that, that concept. Yeah. Well, you literally just said, like, <laughs> donate to support the people that Puritanism is actively yeah. trying to you know, oppress. Um, and you're right. Like for me, I, I pretty much don't celebrate holidays, a uh, big old party pooper over here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, except Halloween. Cause it's the best. Cause you know, hail Satan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I do tend to gather with family and or friends in this fall harvest season, we'll call it. Yeah. Um, And I think it is good to, even if you're just being mindful or you're saying the words, like, like I, I love the, the word Thanksgiving. I mean, it is a good, it's a good word only in the sense of being like, let's be mindful of what we have to be grateful for. You know, if you have the ability to be with friends and family like that, that is a gift and a blessing. If you have the ability to whatever, like have a turkey dinner, like that is a gift and a blessing. And, you know, and I think that's why the holidays can be so much this time of remember to think about the people who don't have those things. And, and if you can do anything to support that, but you know, the message, if we hear it is make it last all year. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's my little Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, That is my, I, I love Muppet Christmas Carol. I'm I'm not big on Christmas, but the one thing, you know, that's my little nostalgia. I've never seen it. 
dude, if you could like watch it on Disney Plus or something, you know, just uh, highly recommend it. It's such a beautiful Aww. story. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not about, you know, it's not about, it's not religious. It's not, it's just about love and remembering to get, not just give, but like, even when you have nothing, you just give with your heart. And oh my God, I get real sappy about that movie. Aww, so <laughs> highly <cute>. recommend it. <laughs> but, but that is the whole thing. And, and I think again, too, to just, to me, I feel like one of the keys of happiness, and it is a practice, and it is, it's hard to like implement practices every single day, you know, but it's just having gratitude, like remembering to look around and be grateful for what you do have, even when it feels like you, you have so little, like there's always something. Uh, and I think that can really uplift you if you can yeah. make a practice out of it. And so I think... This time of year is a great time to to do that and to spread that love around and yeah all that shit. So we turn it into a holiday podcast. Yay! <laughs> Happy holidays! <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. I think that's really good advice. I mean, there is so much to be grateful for, and like every day, life is pretty cool even when it sucks. <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't suck. Yeah. It doesn't suck all the time. But I'm saying, even at the worst times, there's still something to be grateful for. So I totally agree with you. Exactly. So yeah, but um, God, I think it's, so. Uh, was there like a big? How long have you been in Portugal now? Oh, I think only like ten months. Not very long. Has it been a big like adjustment, or does it feel it was easy to sort of transition into that lifestyle? Uh, yeah, it was really easy for me. <laughs> I wish I could say like, it was a struggle and then I learned and grew. I mean, I did, I did learn and grow, but it was like, I don't know, every time I've gone to Europe in the past and now being in Portugal, I'm just like, oh, this is where I'm meant to be. Yeah, it's more of a culture shock being in the US for me. Here, it's just mm -hmm. like, it's just, it feels so good. I think the biggest culture shock for me was that like, where I live is so safe that I don't have to be scared of like walking around at night or getting right. something slipped into my drink if I go out for drinks or getting sexually harassed on the street. Like you, th this just doesn't, right. in, in the particular place that I'm in, this just doesn't happen. Um, kind of everybody wow. knows each other is the vibe. And it's also just kind of like a safe region in general. I live in the Algarve, um, which is just kind of a huge region in Portugal. And it's just known for being like really safe and really mellow a lot of surfers, uh, a lot of like old school, you know, families and stuff like that. It's really lovely. I'm, I've been struggling to learn Portuguese. It's a really tough language. Yeah, it's super <laughs> tough. Um, I don't learn languages very fast. And so I've been yeah. struggling, but I had this kind of breakthrough the other day when I was at the market and I, I grabbed like a box. I forget what it was. I think it was just like cake or something. I don't know. But I, I flipped the back over because I wanted to like read what it said. And I didn't even notice. I like read the whole thing and I was like, okay, cool. Like I got all the information I needed. And then I was like, oh, I just read that entirely in Portuguese. Didn't even notice and understood everything that it said. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I thought, well, that's fast. Yeah. I was like, damn, that was, I mean, I feel like <laughs> learning how to read is a lot easier than learning how to speak it or listen to it. Listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because reading, I can take my time. I can look at the words. I recognize the words. I'm more of a visual learner. 
So reading for mm-hmm. me, I've, I've already gotten pretty far, but like, if you ask me to like read aloud, then we're going to start having issues. Yeah. And if you ask me to like form my right. own sentence, then I'm going to be like very basic. And if somebody talks at me, I just have a, like a little panic moment and I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> like, like this, totally. this is so intimidating, but, um, but yeah, I, I like, I thought, I felt like that was progress. I was like, I can, I can read. <laughs> Of course, it's every little thing is progress for sure. Mm-hmm. So you has it been pretty easy just getting around and, and like talking to people when you need to? Like, is English most people understand it, or has that been a challenge? I would say about eighty percent of the people around here understand some level of English, but not like they're they're not like fluent. They just kind of you know yeah. understand a certain level. But I feel like my little bit of Portuguese and uh, their English and then some like large gesturing of hands <laughs> yes. it can usually yes. solve most problems. So. Yeah. Communication. It's so in- it's so fascinating, really, like how we yeah. all communicate with each other. Um, so, yeah, like I said, we went to several different countries. I swear we would be in a place for long enough to where I could learn hello, thank you, please, like four or five things. And then once I got that down, we'd be off to another country with a different language. (laughs) But that little translate app that's on the iPhone, that thing is amazing. Yeah. And I could just speak into it and then I could play it for the person I was talking to and then they could speak into it. And I was – so we've got so many tools now to like communicate with each other and at least – show people that you're attempting to communicate with them like on their level rather than being like I'm an American like speak English at me (laughs) exactly I think trying because I hate that goes a long way I do have a funny story about those translator apps though um the other day oh my god it was so embarrassing I can't I can't even handle it (laughs) I would have I had to go to the tax office because I, I had to make some adjustments to my visa and um, I walked into the office and there's like the waiting room, right? And there's like a bunch of people just sitting very quietly. It's like 9 a.m. They're all quiet on their phones, whatever. And I'm trying to look up like on the screen, there's like you, you pull a ticket from a computer to wait. Mm-hmm. And on the screen, it said, um, I forget what the phrase was, but it's basically like uh, foreign visa applicants or something like that. And I didn't know what it meant. So I was translating it on my phone and it took the foreign part. And then it was like, oh, it's an AI translator. It was like, oh, you must mean you want to say I am a foreigner. So it just automatically restructured the sentence. I don't know why I did that. I have a lot of tech issues, as you can tell. So, (laughs) so I didn't know I had my volume on my phone all the way up. And so I walk into this quiet room. I'm on my phone for a minute. And then it just says in English, I am a foreigner at top volume on my phone. And I swear, I looked up for a second and literally everybody looked up and like a few people started like laughing because... I just, I just am standing there. I am a foreigner. And then yes. I just like looked back at my phone and then I like didn't look anywhere else and just turned around and walked out and went into the hallway where there, nobody was there. And I just stood there laughing so hard. There were like tears coming down my face. And I was like, I have to wait for like an hour before I can go back there so everybody can like filter out. <laughs> like Leave. I, like, like so 
loud. Oh my god. You locked in the room and declared to everyone. <laughs> in in like English. In English. It was so embarrassing, Sin. I am a foreigner. <laughs> so that was my recent experience with the translator app. And I was like, you have betrayed me. Like Yes. How can I ever trust you again? So now whenever I use my translator app in public, I always make sure my phone is at like lowest volume or like off. Yes. Uh, smart. Yeah. Where did you where did you come from? Like what was your where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in a very small town. Well, it's not a town. It's an unincorporated farming community in Utah. Oh man. Okay. Yeah, out in the desert. Um really close to the border of Nevada. It's um so not St. George. No, it's a little northern than that. It's uh it's like a whole community okay. of like FLDS people. And uh yeah. and then I traveled around a bunch with my parents as well. Um so I lived in a lot of different states, but that was kind of like like home, you know. Um my mm-hmm. family owned a, a cattle ranch. We're actually one of the uh few families few uh people in the u.s that still do horse-driven cattle drives like old-fashioned cowboy stuff so wow yeah it's kind of cool uh i never learned how to like lasso and i i've been on some cattle drives like some horse (laughs) horseback cattle drives but like my Mm -hmm. uncles will just like pull out a rope and be like doing the whole thing with the you know the lasso and i just think it's very impressive but i can like not do that i can't do that so i leave that to them so were you brought up in the lds the the latter-day saints the mormon uh theology there uh yeah so i grew up in the one that the modern lds church um has kind of said isn't them anymore like the original church was Hmm. the fundamentalist um latter-day saints flds uh, and that's, okay. that's what I grew up in, is the um, the polygamous Mormon groups. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I haven't heard of, like, a major distinction. Um, yeah, FLDS. And yeah. I, I grew up in an area, also a small desert town, that oh. had a lot of Mormon. It was, like, Mormon slash Christian. That was, like, the dominant, you know, philosophy of the small town I grew up in. So I'm pretty familiar with your sort of average Mormonism, but maybe you could speak a little about sort of how that's different. Have you seen like Be Sweet, Pray and Obey? Yes, I did see that. Okay, there you go. <laughs> that's it. So you were, I mean, you had to dress yeah. a certain way. It was like- You were a, seen as- I, I feel like they were less intense with me dressing in the like Easter egg colored dresses. Um, I hate mm-hmm. I hated them for one, and I would throw a tantrum. Um, and I also would like occasionally just like randomly cut my hair, which was not very acceptable either. <laughs> um, yeah, this, they have those long braids. Yeah. Um, so documentary. You know, my mom and all of her brothers and sisters were they were very serious about having them brought up a certain way and behaving a certain way. And then, you know, my cousins, some of them had kind of grown up more in the typical LDS fashion, some of, but we all had roots in the fundamentalist group. And I, I, I lived out there. They're pretty strict. I mean, in within the FLDS community, without getting into too much detail, um, my 
grandfather's group was considered one of the more liberal ones. But as far as if you compare it to like a normal church, it's not normal. Mm -hmm. It's not liberal. It's extremely strict. I mean, it's a cult, you know? So, um, yeah. You know, growing up in that environment was very strange. I knew it was strange even then. So I was really eager to leave (laughs) as soon as I could. Yeah. So you were like homeschooled and everything? Uh, I went back and forth, but the schools that I went to were extremely small town Mormon. So it, there was, there was the school out at the ranch where I lived and that was basically a homeschool, but, um, there's, there's a lot of kids like, um, you know, like most people would have between 15 and 20 children. Um, yeah. and then there, wow. there were a lot of wives and if they all had say, if the, the one that had the least had five kids, that's still mm-hmm. like, you know, you can't get in. So the, the, the ideology is that a man has to marry at least three women in order to get into heaven. So, um, if wow. each of those women had, um, on average 11 children oh my God. and that's just one family and that's just if he only married three and but it's better if you marry more so you can imagine even in the homeschool and also it was the the idea is that um in that one family that one man's family all of the wives raise all of the children so it's not just like that one woman has her one you know her kids um so it's a group it's a communal effort to raise the children yeah so there was kind of like a school but it was also kind of like a homeschool, but there was like so many kids, mm-hmm. but it was kind of a school, you know? So I think there was yeah. like 50 kids. Um, and some of them, they just didn't even bother having them go to school. But the ones that did, we, uh, we were right. in like, yeah, some, like a little school. And then when I went to normal schools, it, they were all small. I think the biggest one I went to, it was like, um, I lived in Illinois for a bit too. And the briefly, and the biggest school I went to there was, it had, it was a K through 12 and it had all together mm-hmm. from like kindergarten, preschool to senior year. It was 800 kids. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, that's small. Yeah. It was super small. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it like, and it was all, it, so it was like, yes, I was, I went to school, but like, did I? <laughs> I'm not sure. Right. So it was kind of homeschooled. Yeah. So. Right. So. <sighs> Can I ask, like, how how many siblings do you have? And I mean, do you have other moms in your family? Like, you have your mom, and then were there other moms attached to your dad? Uh, yeah, and you know, I don't actually even know how to answer that question because I don't know how many. Oh wow! Yeah, I I know I have a bunch of siblings, but I don't know them. <laughs> So, right. <laughs> you know, uh, um, I, I, my, my particular family was a bit strange, so I didn't get to, to know all of them. But my, like, for example, my mom had um, 16 moms, something like that. So it was like 13 or 16. My, mm-hmm. my grandpa was a busy man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, but yeah. So, like, as a family unit, I mean, are there – were there any siblings that you have that like you were able to like bond with or develop closeness with, or is it kind of like 
everyone's separate. And... Um, yeah, my brother, my my closest brother, he was actually just here for a visit. It was really nice. Him and I are pretty tight. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be, I mean, I guess I can imagine it'd be difficult to find that bond. So uh, amongst so many kids running around, it's really cool that you were able to have someone yeah. that she could be tight with. <laughs> yeah, and then I have, um, like, quite literally the last time it was counted i had over 300 cousins so uh <laughs> family reunions are kind of wild man we have to like rent out an oh, entire wow. section of um of a uh, national park so like it's, yeah. our family reunions are like a burning man but like the mormon version wow <laughs> um yeah just not as cool yeah <laughs> so uh yeah you know there's some that i get along with there's some that i don't it's kind of yeah it's, you just kind of pick and choose because there's no way that you can get to know all of them there's no way that totally. you're gonna like all of them because you know yeah the idea that like you know there's this like mormon idea of like families can be together forever and it's like well at this point i'm related to everybody in utah so i guess that's fine because like right yeah <laughs> whatever <laughs> yeah so when you were 18, was it like you escaped or, you know, what, what did, what did that look like that separation? Yeah. Uh, I left and... home at 16. Um, and okay. you know, I, I had very politely been refusing to get baptized since I was eight years old. So eventually it was kind of just like, well, I think it's time to go and nobody stopped me. So technically speaking, I was a runaway, wow. I was a runaway, but like, I wasn't really running away because nobody was chasing me. So I was just kind of doing my own thing yeah. by 16. One thing that happens to um, kids when they leave um, cult settings where you're highly cloistered, highly, um, you know, you don't understand how the rest of the world works is you yep. go through kind of a very intense, destructive period where you kind of have a mental breakdown. Like I didn't even know how to go grocery yeah. shopping. You know, it was a struggle yep. for me to do anything. So I was, you know, homeless. And then, you know, sometimes I wasn't homeless. Sometimes I was homeless. Sometimes I was selling artwork on the side of the street. And that was my main job. I, I, I had a lot of very strange jobs. Um, that was another part of it. I was like a living statue. I like, you know, uh, I played uh, the musical saw. I don't know if you know what that is. I was I, I did a lot of like busking, sort of like where you, yeah I didn't like have like a regular job because it made me feel very like oppressed and depressed, oppressed and depressed. <laughs> so I would do do things like that, and yeah, that was always really fun, but hectic. And there I didn't have any roots. I was hitchhiking around yeah. the West mainly. I joined a metal band with a boyfriend. Um, yes. And we just traveled around in a van. Well, I love that. It was cool. That was really fun. <laughs> and then eventually I settled in Oregon and started modeling and kind of just took off from there. So how did, did you have, I mean, you didn't have access to the internet, right? When you were growing up? So uh, we had one hour on Fridays, um, but my, my, my one hour got restricted pretty heavily uh, because I started a MySpace page and um, they found it. I wasn't doing anything wrong, but they saw that I had like looked. They did not understand like modern millennial kids sense of humor. So they saw that yeah. I was looking at this one MySpace page of this guy. It was like his page was called like Punch and Emo Day or something like some stupid uh -huh. MySpacey thing. Yeah. And then his sure. his his age was 69 years old 
And, um, and then it was like, his like, URL was like 666 Satan or it's just something stupid. Like it was probably just some like yeah. other kid, you know, but they were like, totally. They're like, she's following this 69 year old Satanist who wants to violently oh. punch like whatever an emo is, you know, like, <laughs> and, um, they, yeah. they have like a community discussion about it. And I had like the people in my community were doing essentially what is like, this sounds dramatic, but it's sort of like a Mormon exorcism. It's called a laying on of hands yeah. and it's supposed to yeah. kind of, okay. So you know what a laying on of hands is. It's like, yeah, essentially where all the elders like stand around you and like lay their hands on your head and like pray and try to like mm-hmm. talk the evil or whatever that's tempting you yes. out of your system. And I just remember sitting there like, this is so fucking stupid. Like he's, <laughs> he's 69 years old, but if I explain why he was, he said he was 69 years old, I don't think that would have actually been any better, but um, it would have been even worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And they also saw that I was listening to Coheed and Cambria, and they were just like, what is this devil music? <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. So, but you did, you were able to, I mean, once you were sort of free from all that, you were able to get on the internet and find yeah. these, like, modeling opportunities. I mean, is that how you stumbled into that? Yeah. So, um, you know, on my, when I moved out, or when I moved out, when I left, I, um, I started like my first job was I got on MySpace and I just started I'm you know an artist and so I started hitting up all of my favorite bands and I was like I will do your band artwork for free just let me do it like you know that was my like first round and so I started making artwork for all these cool musicians and then you know after I did like one group of just free artwork I would hit up the next group and be like hey here's the artwork I've done for other bands and I would like to do artwork I was just cold calling bands basically and like I want to do your artwork too here's my rate and it was like wildly small like I remember you know I think it was like twenty dollars for like a whole like a whole um like graphic manipulation digital piece that would take me like two weeks you know and and like I just like didn't understand money and so I was just like charging nothing and um and so I so slowly, so I was doing that slowly, you know, started making a little bit of money. And then I discovered Model Mayhem. Yeah. Yeah. This is like old school, <laughs> old school shit. This is when Model Mayhem was like cool, like really cool for a while there. <laughs> Everybody wanted to be on Model Mayhem, I felt like. And um, I started like working that website and just like, you know, finding out yeah. that I could book modeling gigs and people were like wanting to book me and me being like this homeless kid with a skin problem (laughs) you know I had like really (laughs) bad acne and I was basically homeless I was just like felt like just this little crusty punk kid running around and um I was just like so blown away that anybody would ever consider me like pretty because I had really bad self-esteem And like would want to take my photo was just like mind boggling to me. So, you know, I love being in front of the camera and I loved creating art and creating stories and shooting like really interesting concepts. So I just kind of kept doing it. And at first it didn't make me a lot of money, but I just kept at it. And, you know, eventually I moved to it got 
enough that I moved to New York, started doing it like even more full time. And then I got flown to work in Europe and I was doing like, you know, um, the lingerie fashion week in Paris and New York. And it just started go- wow. like going nuts for a while. And um, I was working every day. Um, I was so you were like mainstream modeling. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I've done like everything from modeling for like, you know, sculptors to um, doing, you know, body doubling for Hollywood films to doing um, runways in like, you know, fashion week. And, um, you know, I did like catalog modeling. I did art modeling. I did, Mm -hmm. you know, I I did, I was just kind of everything, especially like at that point, Model Mayhem was a really great resource. And so you could get legitimately good castings. I don't feel like that's kind of a thing anymore. Um, Yeah. I I used it a little bit in the early 2000s. Um, I started on one model place. Did you ever try that? I still have a one model place account and I never use it. Yeah. I still have a Model Mayhem account and I haven't yeah. looked at it in like two years, you know, yeah, like, yeah. I just, but, um, so you've, you've modeled in these mainstream industries, uh, it sounds like every possible way that you could. And, um, and then also adults. So out of all those experiences, which were the least abusive? Porn. <laughs> sorry i already knew the answer yeah <laughs> i was like yeah no i remember when i first started doing like i did some porn and uh or i i started off in fetish and i was like this is yeah amazing like they not only let you eat they let you eat yeah. on set because <laughs> this was before the yeah. body positivity and so they the heroin chic was right. still the thing and oh yeah you know i was like I was like, what, 22? And they were saying I was like, they were, they were like, oh, you're old and you're fat, you know, on, on fashion set. Oh my God. And I was like, well, you hired me. And they're like, yeah, well, we didn't expect you to roll in here looking like that. And it's just like, what in the world? And like, I remember one lady, um, oh my gosh, she oh zipped my up gosh. the back of my dress and she caught my skin in it. And it's my <sighs> backbone that she caught. Like, it wasn't like, yeah. There, there no, was, it wasn't fleshy. It, there was no, there was just skin and then bone underneath yeah. that. And she was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's because like, you know, and just, I don't want to like say anything that needs a trigger warning, but like, it, it was just like the thing right. she said about why she zipped up my back was right. just so demoralizing. And I just spent the rest of the shoot feeling like crap. And then yeah. I, that was actually around the time when I was like, oh, you know, it'd be a really good idea. Cause I had been hiding, I had been shooting some fetish but I had been hiding it because I didn't want people to, especially at that time, if you were in the fashion and you were in mainstream and somebody found out you were doing, you know, sex work of any kind, especially like porn, that could be, you'd be blacklisted. You know, it was like a big deal. And I remember being like, why am I working so hard to look good for an industry that hates me? Like they are disgusted by me. They think I'm broken, like, and they, I don't even make any, like, real money. Like, I was barely making enough money. And, um, yeah. and that was impressive all on its own, to be honest, because most people, they didn't make any money. And, um, wow. And then I started doing, like, a tickling fetish thing and tickle yeah. abuse. A lot of people know me from tickle abuse. Still, I get hit up about it. And I was making yeah. all this money and I was having all this fun. And then, and then uh, that 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 shoot happened with that lady when she zipped up my back, and then it it left 
a, like a like bruises and a scar on me for a while and um yeah. and then trump got elected and i was like oh so that's where we're at in the time in the timeline okay yeah, and i was like if <laughs> yeah. this joker can get elected as president i can do whatever i want for the rest of my life yeah <laughs> yes so i yeah. i went public and i was like yeah i've done i'm doing porn and i've done a lot of it and while i was modeling for your stupid catalog i was doing tickle abuse <laughs> like yes fuck yeah and um i didn't lose any work people actually kind of yeah. like dug it yeah. um and the people who didn't mind i didn't want to work for anyway and then i uh, yeah yep it's like the great filter yeah. it's the great life filter and this is why well, usually if I meet or encounter people and they ask what I do, I, I do tend to tell them because I feel like their reaction to how I choose to survive under capitalism tells me everything that I need to know about who they are. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's nothing about me. Like I'm, I know what I do and who I am and what I'm all about. If, you know, if people will either be like, oh, that's cool. Or they'll be like, oh, and then stop talking to me. And I'm like, great. I <laughs> Wouldn't want to deal with your fucking ass anyway. Yeah. You know, it's like a litmus test for people's character. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So when so I gotta ask now, um, growing up in the you know situation that you were in, and and then uh, working in this industry, the mainstream modeling industry for so long and stuff. So when was it that you first discovered porn was a thing? It's kind of funny because I love making porn but i don't really watch it that much like me neither yeah i, I never watch I it like, occasionally i'll turn something on but like it's super rare because i just i have a really vivid imagination and it kind of works yeah for me. and um oh yeah and it's not a a lack of interest it's just i mean i guess it's a bit of a lack of interest but it's not like a lack of passion for it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but I, you know, I knew about porn. You know, you know, growing up in in Utah, like they have whole PSAs about it. It's like the war against porn. You know, it's like yes, it's they have that one. I've seen the billboard. Yeah, you should Google the video of it's like the Mormon video of the guy saving his friend from porn, and it's like they're they're like on a battlefield and he's like pulling his wounded friend to safety but it is so gay it is so gay ah! and it's just like <laughs> it's so yes. i love it i love that for them um but yeah so was it like they are these like religious leaders almost were the ones who told you about porn yeah that was how you i discovered, discovered it. it for yourself yeah Wow. So I knew about it, but I kind of had the same general idea of it that I do for like, that I did for like drugs, like where I had no concept of mm. what drugs were. I had no concept of what porn was. I just knew that they were bad. Right. You know, and that like, right. Uh, I didn't even know why. But I always thought, like, yeah. how they described it, I was like, those women sound really glamorous. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I was like, they sound kind of cool. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Um, and then when I got older, I want to say the first porn I ever watched, I was like 17 and I was living in, this is a long story, but I'll keep it real short and not explain too much of it. I was living on an oil rig in Oklahoma in a work trailer. And that's like, that was my job wow. as I made breakfast for the guys who worked on the oil rig. 
And one day after they all got back, I like went over to one of their house, like their trailers for dinner. And I walked into the trailer and they were playing a video. I think he didn't realize he had left the TV on. Like I legitimately don't think he knew he had done that because it was like in one of the rooms and it was this girl, this guy had come into like a martini glass and she was like swirling it around and she was like covered in cum and she was like kneeling on the floor and she was like drinking it. And, yes. um, and I remember just staring at that and being like, that is not what I expected to see uh, <laughs> when I come in to use the toilet. Uh, and it just stuck with me because I don't, I had never seen anything like that before. And I was like, that was yeah. wild. What was that? What in the world? It just blew my mind. And then later on, I read an article about Sasha Gray and she was saying how it was, it was a very simple article. It was like an interview. She was saying how she always wanted to have sex on a dryer because you know, when a dryer cycle is going and it, it like rumbles a little. And yes. I remember being like, that is the most empowering thing I've ever read in my entire life. Oh my God. <laughs> Just to like talk for me at the time, like yeah. talking that openly and playfully about sex as a woman yes. who is supposed to base her entire um, identity on being as pure as possible and only having yeah. sex with one man and only for the creation of children was wow. having a woman go in a like talk in a magazine saying that she just wanted to have sex on a dryer just to try it out i was like that's yeah. not it's such a simple statement i know how to express properly how mind-blowing that was for me where i was like this is no big deal for her like yeah i want to have sex on a dryer now and then i was like like that is a strong woman like that yes. was like the epitome to me of like strength and power and like i was i was obsessed and i wanted him yeah I, ever since i think it was i was 18 when i saw that and i was like i want him how do i do it where, where do i sign yes. up like i want to be somebody oh, who can casually say i want to have sex on a dryer just because it sounds fun and um yeah yeah that was basically the start of my porn career <laughs> oh my god i love it fuck yeah dude inspiration Gosh. Yeah. So, uh, so at that time though, I mean, okay. So you said you, you know, you ran away, you got away from the cult at 16 and then, you know, you had your sort of like your rum springa, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously by then you had had sex. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, I just, uh, like putting myself in, in that, in your position and, imagining like that feeling of freedom it was kind of cool i'll uh, you know keep it as detailed less as possible just to protect the people yeah, but I'm like i want to ask all the details yeah about, well my my first <laughs> the first person i was with was like my high school sweetheart and um about a year and a half we were together for so this this person went to like the one my last high school that i went to which was really small, but it was like technically a real high school, but it was, it was basically just the mm. same people that were out on the farm too. Um, right. Yeah. Gender wasn't really talked about. So about a year and a half into us being together, they came to me and they were like, Hey, so I have something, you know, to tell you and you know, I'm bi. And I was like, well, okay. Yeah. How does that affect you? And they're like, it doesn't. And I was like, okay, so we're monogamous. 
so what are you really mm-hmm. trying to say? Because I was like, I could just tell that wasn't it. I was like, what are you trying to tell me right now? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so you're into men as well. And they're like, well, I'm really just into you and like other girls, but I'm bi. And I was like, okay, yeah. so I, I just kind of knew. I was like, are you saying you're into yeah. that you're bi yeah, or are you saying very, that like, you perceptive. are a girl? <laughs> Intuitive. And, I, and they were like, I'm a girl. And we had, I had never heard of transgender. They had never heard of transgender. And it was like totally new to us. And I was like, okay, so you're a girl, but you're just like in a body that has a penis, but like you're a girl. And they're like, yeah, "Yeah, I don't know how, I don't know what to do with this information. (laughs) And so we kind of played it. So that was like, you know, the first person I had had sex with. And so, you know, we had like the typical, um, you know, what I what mm-hmm. we both right. at the time had considered like heterosexual sex at first, but then we realized that that's not the case, and then we began um, like this adventure into them transitioning before transitioning was a thing in the area we were in, and so my first experiences with sex yeah. were oh my gosh, um, and like experimenting yeah. with um, ways of gender affirming sex. Um, with my partner and yeah you know as as complete newbies to what that was and it was really beautiful and really intimate and really difficult at a lot of times because um, Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. I was finding out what I did and didn't like and they were as well and then we realized that we weren't meant for each other but I've always been really grateful to them yay um, oh my god I love that they're killing it out there so so it seems like (laughs) yeah yeah um uh that's somewhat of a younger age uh that you're queer or don't let me put that in your mouth like how do you identify and uh I didn't know I was in like anything but straight until like a few years ago (laughs) (laughs) shut your mouth (laughs) I heard you were doing these really beautiful lesbian scenes for many years now so yeah so like up until I was okay so maybe not a few it was like 2018 when I was like maybe I'm gay (laughs) or not gay but like maybe I'm like not straight yeah (laughs) yeah you know but like I it's not that I it's not that I was even actively thinking about it before then it was like I had never even considered giving myself a label of any kind Um, and so I think I just defaulted to straight because that is the default yeah, yeah, that was like the the default for me. Um, and you know, I'm mostly uh, romantically interested in men, historically speaking. Right. Um, but also, the future is a big, wide open space. I don't really know what what lies ahead. But yeah, um, yeah. Up until recently, even you know, I was joking on Twitter recently with somebody about how after years and years of having really good sex with women I finally thought maybe I like women oh my god (laughs) maybe I'm not totally straight wow Um, which is really funny and uh yeah so not straight and then you know up until recently I was just always like yeah I'm a girl and I am a girl but I'm also like not anything yeah and that was something that felt this this was very recent. Like, I would I would say, you know, uh, not even two years ago. Now I remember yeah. like when everybody's discussing gender, and I had never really 
considered mine and what it meant to me. And, um, and then I was like, yeah, that's because I don't have one. Like, yeah. and it's not like a she, they situation. It's literally anything you want to call me. I do yeah. not care. And I, I want to make sure that everybody else feels validated with what they chose. But totally. for me personally, uh, I don't want to ever have the label of sexuality or gender on me. Nice. Yeah. How about you? <laughs> and if, if you are open to talking about of that. course i can't have this podcast and grill everyone else about it i feel like <laughs> i talk about it a lot though but um what you said where you're like i am a girl yes but also i am nothing like i am agender or genderless um that that's how i identify too i was speaking with uh, electra rain she was on the podcast and she said I am a girl, but that's not the whole story. And I was like, that's a yeah. really, that's another great way of putting it. So for me, when it comes to like expression, especially when, because again, it was like, I never really thought about it one way or the other in this way until, you know, the zeitgeist is now talking about gender and stuff. And I'm sitting over here getting so frustrated with all these people who are just like refuse to just be chill about it. <laughs> I think about like my entire life and from the time I was like a small child, I identified with being a tomboy. Like I wanted to play with the boys, not because I was like crushing on them and stuff, although that happened too, but because I wanted to be in that group also. I didn't want to be excluded from their playtime. You know, I want, I was like, why yeah. can't it be me too? And then that I would even dress that way at various times. It's almost like uh, waves would come and go. And, you know, I remember this time period, even recent up, you know, uh, like in the mid two thousands. And I was like wearing, oversized baggy pants and like extra large t-shirts and this is what made me feel affirmed and then I'd go to work and put on a bra and panties and curl my hair and I'd feel affirmed there as well and so I just I definitely realized that I'm for sure gender fluid and that I identify with womanhood in a lot of ways in many many ways really like outside of gender i just don't feel like same yeah like yeah to say i'm non-binary is this doesn't quite feel right but mm -hmm. that i don't feel confined by boxes of gender it sucks to sometimes you know i i come across the little check marks sometimes it's like okay male female non-binary to make life simple i usually just check check female and you know, I'm just old and lazy and I don't like some, some things I'm like, whatever, this just isn't worth it. But when I think about gender, you know, I go by she, they, just because, uh, again, like womanhood doesn't tell the whole story of me either. And I have not had a child, not that that's the thing about, you know, whatever it's up in the air, but I don't want one. I made my body so that I am unable to have one. And that was my choice, my decision. And like, so I don't know. But then there are many ways where I'm just, I do identify with womanhood, especially when it comes to like mm, wanting that representation in the world. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, um, sort of, you know, 
like girl power, if you will. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, what you were saying, it just resonated with me a lot too. And sometimes, you know, I, uh, man, um, I just watched this amazing documentary called Everybody. And it is about intersex people. They really follow three intersex people uh, throughout that story. But I've watched a few documentaries about intersex people. And this amazing girl uh, who was born with XY chromosomes, but she looks like a girl. And she doesn't have ovaries. She was born with testes inside her body. She was saying the same thing about why she uses she, they. Similar things. Um, She's like... You know, I present as a woman and in a lot of ways I move through the world as one, but that doesn't tell the whole story of like who I am as a person. And and she just came out with a book and it's called Inverse Cowgirl. And I would I wish I could tell you her name right now. I'm not super great with names, uh, but she's amazing. And she's like really making strides in government. She she lives in Austin and she works with the city government there Uh, and she's she's helping to pass these like this legislation where you know you have these lawmakers in texas who are saying we can't allow you know uh, gender affirming care for people under 18 whether it's hormone treatment or you know whatever all the vast plethora of ways uh small children are not having surgeries just let's get that fact out there right now but when it comes to babies who are born intersex they are saying, well, you better fix the appearance to look like something quote unquote normal. So it's okay for a doctor and maybe parents to decide for a newborn infant who they should be, what their gender should be. Like that is okay. What they want them to be. Exactly. Yeah. But it's not okay for a child who's old enough to make those decisions and voice those decisions for themselves to get that care that they need. Like just again, with math, not mathing, like that's not okay. So uh, she's actually helped write legislation to stop the, I don't know, mutilation of baby in newborns bodies to make it conform to a particular gender norm. It's a, it's a long battle, uh, uphill one, but these, these things are happening. And so it just like makes my heart sing to know about this. So look her up. uh, Inverse Cowgirl is the name of the book. Uh, Haven't read it myself yet, but like, I just want to sort of stand for this person who's doing that work. (laughs) That sounds amazing. I mean, to wrap it around to what we were saying about Puritanism, gender roles. Oh my God, right? (laughs) Yeah. And And like what they think you should look like and what, you know, that, that, that's so um, in depth and destructive and yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like she's making a lot of progress, even if it's slow. Yeah. Just the inequality, you know, like forcing people to live in in these boxes. Uh, No, you're a girl and a woman, so you need to do these things. And like, it's 2023. Women still do not get paid the same as men for the same jobs. Mm -hmm. And like, what? (laughs) How? You know, and that that's a world that's, you know, being told over millennia, you know, centuries that women's belong here doing these things and men belong here doing those things and no it's not okay 
<laughs> no, it isn't. No, we are people like ever. We're all people and we all have feelings and dreams and emo and things that we want for our lives. And like, stop, stop oppressing us. Just let us be. <laughs> like there is a certain love of women doing unpaid labor in uh, more patriarchal puritanical societies. And yeah. that definitely is still in existence today where, you know, we're so, like, I mean, even in high school, like I remember people like the teachers, the teachers would joke about how women's jobs were in the kitchen, but they weren't joking. It was like, they would phrase it. Like, I remember my geography teacher, he was like the geography teacher and the PE teacher and the, yeah. the everybody the had a bunch of roles and, in the yeah. high school. Yeah. Yeah. And the math teacher. Um, <laughs> but he, he was joking about, um, you know, why are, he started the class off with that joke about why are women's feet smaller mm -hmm. so they can stand closer to the kitchen sink. Ugh. And I stood up and walked out and Ooh. he was like, oh, oh, you can't. Oh, yeah. I was a little, a little rebel. Yes. Well, I mean, <laughs> um, the fact that you, again, like grew up in the situation that you were growing up in and refused to be baptized. <laughs> like there was just yeah. this, this spark in you. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I feel like I got really lucky that I... I don't know where I got it from, but I had this very innate sense of, you know, what was fair yeah. and what was wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not saying I was like this pinnacle of right and wrong or anything, but um, I did know that like, I am not going to be just some woman that you stick in a house with a bunch of kids and yeah. uh, my, and make very casual, cruel jokes about me wasting my life at your kitchen sink. Like, I will not do that. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was something that like, I didn't like those jokes. Maybe to them, it was literally no biggie because yeah, that was the society we grew up in. And that was the society he grew up in. You yeah. know? And so he, he literally, he was just like, oh God, you're being so dramatic. Like, right. you know, it, and yeah, it just, it, that, that's never going to be normal. You can't just reduce somebody's entire <sighs> life to, yeah. you know, one simple gender role and and that goes in so many different directions whether you know you start off biologically with a penis like you can't right. be restricted if you don't feel that way or a vagina you know it right. like like it's just so and or or you know growing up as a girl in a super conservative society i'm supposed to be having like a bunch of babies by now <laughs> like, yeah you know, i'm supposed to basically be a grandma by now oh my god and like that's not how humankind has ever worked, ever. And no. pretending like you can just, that, that people are that simple. Right. It, it just sets society back so far and in such negative, violent ways. Yeah. Well, I'm so fucking happy that, you know, that that spark, that fire was in you and you escaped Thanks. and <laughs> you were able to come and make beautiful not just beautiful sexual art but like you make beautiful visual art as well at paintings yeah thank you can you yeah. tell us a little more about that yeah absolutely um yeah so my my paintings they're surrealist i i love having a sense of humor mixed in with a sense of like um folklore mm -hmm. uh, i love um 
yeah, folklore, folk art. Um, I love the nitty gritty old stories that are like both comical and kind of terrifying, you know? Yeah. Um, I love, uh, you know, cryptids and monsters oh. and ghosts and things like that. And the stories that go along with that, I think, make society and um, humans just so much more interesting. Um, so that's usually what I paint and what it's based off of is like, you know, um, I, I call this series, I, I mean, I've only had one series, so I don't know if I can really even call it a series if that's literally all I do, but I call it the Creatures of the Curio. Um, it's basically just focusing on creatures that live in um, the uh, people's minds, people's paracosms, um, your personal mythology and um, curio, like a curio cabinet. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I grew up also, my, my dad um, was a schizophrenic and he would often refuse to take his medicine. And then he would yeah. tell me about what he was seeing. And, you know, often it was very dangerous to him not taking his medicine, yeah. but it gave me this perspective as a kid because, you know, everybody would tell me what he's seeing isn't real. And then he would tell me what they're seeing isn't real. Yeah. And so I had this really interesting dichotomy of um, nobody knows what the fuck is going on. Yeah. <laughs> like, like what is real? So, yeah. And, you know, everybody sees the world differently. Everybody has their own inner creatures. And yeah. so I'm really that's I think it's going to be a lifelong fascination. I don't think I'm ever going to stop thinking ah. critters. Oh my weird, gosh, I love weird it. Weird critters. Yes. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I hate to bring this up because I do so often, but have you watched The X-Files? <laughs> yeah, I love it. Don't, don't be sorry to bring that up. I love The X-Files. <laughs> okay. Obviously, it's like my number one favorite show. I'm super obsessed with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I haven't even watched all of them, but I love it so much. Yeah, like when you were talking about that you like to paint cryptids and things like this and uh, I was like, maybe I could commission you to make like an X-Files related because, you know, the, there's so many of the cryptids, little creatures and things that they go and investigate. And I love it. So, yeah, like, merging those ideas with your brand, your flavor of art. I would <laughs> love that. Thank you. Yeah, that sounds great. I, I think I've, I've been really obsessed with um, the Mothman for a long time yeah. and I just haven't I haven't fully gotten it out of my system yet I yes. need to do like a big mothman piece or something uh, do you remember it was probably several years ago at this point um but there was a meme going around and it was a moth meme it was very popular for like a blip in time and it was like I it was like they were all like attracted to lamps and it was like Bruiser, I love lamp. Bruiser, yeah, I love lamp. <laughs> oh my god, we loved that meme. I don't know, it's still mm -hmm. stuck in my head. And every time I see Mothman, it just I go directly to that meme. The Moth. I think memes. I actually saw one where it was the Mothman getting like all up in a lamp. Like, yep. Yeah. There are so mm -hmm. many, like, oh my the, God, memories. Yeah. The internet just like went wild with the moth memes and it was <laughs> so good. And um, people are so creative and clever and funny. And I love I that know. shit. I love memes. <laughs> <laughs> 
do you do commission pieces with your art? Like you were talking about an Etsy store and stuff. You do. Okay, so cool. Yeah. So before we sign off, I want to make sure that the listeners know all about your porn stuff and all about your art stuff as well. So awesome. Yeah. We will get that in there. All right, cool. So you're going to help me answer a couple questions. Let's do it. All right. So this first one is from R. And they ask, as a sex worker, do you think it is possible to date someone who is not a sex worker? I've heard of it being entirely possible with civvies, though few and far between, but I've had a bad track record thus far. At this point, I don't even know how to navigate dating as a sex worker. And I wondered if you had any advice. Oh, so this person is a sex worker. Yes, which uh, so happy to know that sex workers are listening to my podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I could tell when they said with civvies, you know, we, we call yeah. we call you normies civilians. Um, <laughs> so that that's what gave it away. For me, you know, like I feel I feel that my experience is a little bit different as someone who does not it shouldn't be this way. I don't know. But like, I don't engage in like cis, with cis males in porn. I've only done girl, girl stuff. So uh, when I met the person who is now my husband, like he was a civilian. Again, like I when I was single, I told him, you know, this is what I do for a living. And I'm a lesbian porn star. And he was like, that's cool. Um, <laughs> so I don't it know. is really cool. <laughs> it, so I can't speak to like if it would have been different if I was like, you know, maybe like I'm a full service sex worker or I am just a porn star with no you know caveats to that. Um, I don't know if things would have turned out differently for us. So he was, you know, excited by it, and then he he definitely had some like insecurities in the beginning. But it was just that time and that building of trust and, you know, me me with my behaviors and my actions, making it clear that, like, I have a work life and it's separate from my personal life and, like, things like that is what made him comfortable and then ease in. And now I, you know, like, folded him into the dark side and now now he's a sex (laughs) worker too. Um, But I, I am very... Uh, excited to hear like uh, your opinion on this and what you have to say. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when I get asked about dating as a sex worker, I'm just like, you know, dating is hard for anyone mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and there's always going to be struggles and insecurities. And it's like really just about finding somebody that um, you can communicate with and I think that when you're a sex worker, especially like, you know, if you, so when you you hear my stomach rumble, sorry. Um, If you're like only working with women, I think, um, you know, your dude is obviously awesome. I mean, he would be down like (laughs) you guys are a lot bigger than this, but I think a lot of, you know, men, for instance, would see that as like cooler than yeah. if you're working also with with men I do, um, and that's yeah that's something that I've seen before in my dating life is you know people finding out like you, you know when I've only shot with women they're like oh that's great but if I'm shooting with men and women then it gets a little bit trickier right and you know I'm not sure I am the person to talk on this but from my experience um 
it's possible and it's totally Definitely. fine and like you'll find somebody if yes. you just like know what you want and don't settle and yes. make sure that um you set boundaries and communicate a lot and mm-hmm. i th- i think it's fully possible is it easy i'm not a person to comment on that but i know that it's possible and i know that there are people out there who are more than happy to work with whatever they need to work with to be with somebody who is as amazing as like you are as a person you know yeah i think that too and you know that that is the thing first of all dating is hard does not matter how you survive under capitalism (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's it's just hard um but like what i think is that i would never go past a second date without having conversation about religion politics and children that is smart because the deeper you get into it and then all of a sudden you're wildly in love and then you find out that they want kids and you don't and it's a non-negotiable and it's like well now you have two broken hearts or you have someone who is just like doing the huge kid thing only because that's what you wanted and that is not the way to be a parent for as an example but you know, with that folded in, it's like, I wouldn't even get past, I wouldn't even like make a first date, I don't think, and without saying like, this is who I am, and this is what I do for a living. And I don't want to, like, I don't want to feel like I have to apologize for the way I live my life or the way I earn an income. And I am happy and I am healthy and I want to be with someone who recognizes my agency and recognizes my choices and is not just like, well, I guess that's okay, but is like, I support you. Yeah. Um, Like I am super into this. I am here mm -hmm. for it. Like Mm-hmm. that's what I'm that's that's what you should want is like yes not just somebody who's like I'm willing to put up with it yes because you, like that's a that's not gonna last that's exactly not sustainable. that's a ticking yeah. time bomb someone who is like well I guess it's okay and then you carry on I've been with that before and it's bad news <laughs> yep like it's just a, a matter of time you're just watching the clock until the day comes that all is and they're like I am not okay with this anymore and now it's yeah. a huge ordeal and, and usually when that sort of thing happens, it's they've been building resentment because they were never yes. okay with it to begin with. In the first place. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And there's no going back from that. Like, and, you know, I can speak like with my ex. When we first got together, I, I wasn't a sex worker. I was 18. Um, but I do remember like our first date, we were on a hill in a car we were like watching the stars and i was just talking about like i really want to be a stripper and i really want to be in videos and this is like what i want to do with my life so like he knew going into it and then i started stripping and i'm like you cool with this and he's like i guess i'm cool with it and then then i became a porn star you cool with this i guess i'm cool with it but like then he was lying and then he was like sleeping mm-hmm. with my best friend behind my back. And he's like, well, oh my God. Yeah. And in his mind, not talking to me about it, but in his mind, he's justifying it. Well, I'm just making it equal. If you yep. don't have sex with girls for work, I can have sex with girls. For I was I literally to, right? going to guess. It was like he he's in his mind saying, um, oh, well, it's okay because you're having sex with other people too, but he's doing it with uh-huh. your friend because he knew it would 
hurt you because he's resentful because you're doing something that he doesn't know how to set a boundary for. Exactly. <laughs> it's like a full circle, that full circle situation. That is what it is. Yeah. And even when that all came out and we tried to like heal our relationship and stuff, he was never supportive. He was never supportive. Like I would, he would never say, how was work? Tell me about your day. Like, and if I just said it and I was like, oh my gosh, it was so cool today. He'd be like, yeah, good. Like, you know, he wouldn't ask questions. He just shut it down kind of. Um, yeah. Maybe even not like with his words, but with his vibe, he would just yes. shut it down. Yes. And yeah. so that was the whole thing. It wasn't like he was telling me I couldn't do what my job, but he just was never supportive. And then finally left his ass and met my current partner like four months later, told him right off the bat, this is what I do for a living. And he is like, that is fucking cool. And became the, just the most supportive person in my life. I mean, that's why like, he's my husband now. He's my fucking life partner. Like, and we will make compromises with each other about stuff, but like, because we're a team now. And that's what I think like anyone can have. And this includes you, are who wrote in this question if you are like uncompromising with who you are as yourself you're confident in who you are you know that the type of sex work that you do like supports your life helps you live a good life you're happy doing it if you have all of those things then then you cannot compromise like who you are as a person for someone else and it's just going to be difficult. But that's why I do think that like telling someone right off the bat what you do and who you are and that they're not going to change that, seeing their reaction, and that's going to give you all the information you need to know to like move forward. Another yeah. bit of just like sort of practical advice is I think that if you try dating in more marginalized areas, as in like lifestyle people, whether it's kinky lifestyle, yeah. whether it's- I was going to say the kink community. Uh-huh, kink community, or it's like swinging lifestyle, perhaps. Like these are people who are going to, as just a dating pool, you're going to have a much higher likelihood of meeting people who understand your, your job is a job. And um, yeah, maybe even like poly people or open people, uh, just things like that. If you're going on, you know, Tinder or whatever, just sort of mainstream stuff, I think it's going to be more, you know, you're just going to show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're going to be wading through the shit a little bit more. Let's be real, real about that. Tinder yeah. is a shit show. And yeah. I, I personally have never had any fun on Tinder, but I know some yeah. people have had fun. But for me, I'm just like, what I get is like a lot of men who either recognize me and that can go very yeah. different ways yeah. or they are not into it. And so, yeah, like, you know, um, I think the kink community in the lifestyle, you know, sexual lifestyle community yeah. is great because they have a lot more like education and they're mm -hmm. emotionally educated on how to do sex not just yes. like the physical act of it but like manage the emotions surrounding it understand what sex is and what sex isn't yeah um and i think you like finding somebody who understands the intimacy sex and the um and the work sex like yeah. work can be intimate but yep. it, it's 
there's a very distinct difference between the sex that you would have with your partner or partners and the sex that you would have on set or, you know, with somebody that you are working with, whether you know them well, or you just met them. Like it's very, very different. Yeah. Finding somebody who understands that is amazing. And I think the kink community is a great place to look, but I think it's absolutely possible. I have absolutely no doubt that there are people who are going to be very willing and supportive and celebrate, um, you know, being with somebody who is a sex worker. It's just a matter of looking in the right places, understanding your value and your boundaries and Mm -hmm. what you can, you know, like not, not accepting somebody that is trying to humble you or take away from what you're doing. Yeah. Or change you on that fundamental level. Yeah. Yeah. Not cool. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, hopefully you've got some practical ways to move forward. Or you just go out with a really big net and you catch one. (laughs) (laughs) It has to be a kinky net. (laughs) A consensually kinky net. That's right. (laughs) Speaking of kink, so this one is from C. And C says, hey, Sin, as someone who has a kink for navels myself, when did you discover that you had a belly button fetish? Additionally, does your guest remember a specific time when they first discovered one of their fetishes? Ah, okay. I love the second Ah. part of the question very much. The first part of the question is so funny to me. When did you discover that you had a belly button fetish? So I, this person claimed that they have a belly button fetish and then said (laughs) to me, when did you discover that you have a belly button fetish? So I am guessing that this person has consumed some of my belly button fetish videos, which I do love making. Um, they're they're one of those one of those kinks that's sort of like simple and and playful, and I love those types. I love making videos like that. But assuming that I must have a belly button kink myself because I'm so good at performing the belly button fetish videos. <laughs> is is a fun is a fun example of of, um something that you know i would not say about myself that i have a belly button kink or fetish uh same with a lot of the fetish videos that i make um but i'm a great performer and i can have make a kink of you know whatever type is being asked of me because I definitely don't have an aversion to belly buttons. I mean, I love, I do love tummies. I like tummies. I like deep belly buttons, but it's not necessarily like a kink or a fetish. So I guess that would be sort of my answer to the first part of the question. Cause I'd never discovered I have a belly button fetish. <laughs> um, yeah, I've done a lot of belly button stuff before too. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. It's like one of those fetishes that I find really fun to create, but yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't have a belly button fetish either. But, but that, I, I like, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just, that's that's the thing is like, um, you know, I wouldn't even say that I have any particular strong fetishes for any of the categories of fetishes that are out there at this point and stage in my life. Um, when I was younger, I was like, when I first got in the industry, I was really into subbing. And love getting spankings and love getting like beat okay. with floggers and stuff. And I'll, I'll still take a good flogging and a good spanking. I mean, and it's all about the set and the setting. Um, but 
I'm just not like I've, I've had all that. I've experienced a ton of it thanks to my work and it's just not necessarily something I'm super passionate about. Like I was maybe when I was younger. And then obviously like I've transitioned to more of a Dom role, um, in the past like 10 years or so. So, so yeah, I just, uh, fetishes and kinks are interesting like that at different stages in your life they might fire oh, yeah. up and fade away so yeah tell, tell us a little bit about your um oh fetishes. You know, your fetish <laughs> yeah um when i first got into the industry i was also this is i would say when i started getting into the industry has been like the education of me understanding more about my sexuality because i didn't have I wasn't involved in the kink community beforehand. I didn't really know much about it. Yeah, totally. Um, so it was like, you know, my, it was like my boot camp, if you will. Yes, yes. So um, I was really into subbing too. Like I, I call it, really dumb, I call it my Lana Del Rey face. <laughs> <laughs> because it was, I was very much like, I'm just this like pretty sexy young thing and I want to date all these old men and get tied up and rope you know I just like I wanted to be like that I don't know I don't know what I'm going through something but um <laughs> I still had a lot of fun doing you know being a rope bunny and being a sub like I love doing I still love doing that from time to time yeah um I am going into that like mental place is really fun um but it's it's also lessened since um I began and well, I definitely still do it and enjoy it and love doing the ropes too. Um, it's not as much of a focus um, as it used to be. And I've also gone like the more doming route, I think with my haircut. They, I've all, they've always just wanted me to be the dom role. I don't know what it is about my haircut. They're like, <laughs> you got that haircut. And I'm like, I don't know what, like the, I don't know what it is, but. It's the dominatrix um, haircut. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So, um, it was always funny, like getting cast, especially when I was first starting in the industry. And I'm like, I'm like the stubbiest baby you've ever met. But if you want me to say mean things to somebody, I'll try. Um, <laughs> my first time ever doming was a mess. But anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> You're mean and I don't like you. And they're like, what are you doing? You need to stop acting like, like I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm so nervous. Um, but yeah, so I, I love doing subbing. And then, um, you know, I did a lot of like tickling fetish and I wasn't really into tickling fetish, but it was really fun. It was, I love, so for me, like, I know this sounds like a cop out and I, but I promise it isn't. I have kind of like a fetish for fetishes. Like I get, I think it's like my special interest. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I love finding out what makes a fetish work for somebody like you know, Ooh, yeah. I used to work for a fetish company and I was kind of like one of their on-call girls that they would have come in and do, you know, customs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, there was always some new fetish. There was always some new weird thing that I had never heard of. Balloon sitting, cake sitting, um, you know, whipped cream on the face and yep. just that. Or, yep. you know, smoking fetish. Or, yeah, pie, the messy, messy stuff. Yep. Um, you know, uh, non-animate crush fetish. Just like weird stuff yeah and uh high heel fetish like sucking on shoes foot fetish is an obvious one mm -hmm. um and you know i just loved being like okay what are we doing today and then it'd be like oh we're doing this one really niche fetish yeah. and then we would look at the script and we'd have a talk before we shot it of what it is like 
you know, the customer would write the script and be like, okay, what is the part you can tell that he's like, you got to get this right. Because yeah. that's where, that's where the, like, the most important part of the script is. And then we would, we would, as a group, understand what the fetish was. And we'd be like, okay, we're ready to go. Let's get this, you know? And yeah. it was, it was so, it was so fascinating. And I worked for this company for years. And so, you know, being able to, to, I don't even know what to call it. It's like the little shining part of the script where it'd be like, and it would be like the most random thing, you know, about yeah. a fetish, like for balloon popping. Mm -hmm. It's not the balloon popping. It's the noise you make right when the balloon pops that they're like really into. Your reaction so, to the pop. Yeah. And it's the O face. And so yeah. on some level, they um, correlate that with sex. So for me, that was always where or like if a partner had a fetish, I wanted to know why. And if I knew why I like loved enacting it with them and I would get really into it too, yes. because it was like really sexy. Like, yeah, so oh my God, you, you have this thing and you want me to do this thing for you because it's like your special weird little thing. You yes, like. I, and, I and, agree. And I love that hot. shit. Yeah, it's super yeah. hot. Like, um, like I remember when, uh, Drake first told me, and it, it took a little while. It took a while, but he's like, he like I think I caught him like s smelling my armpit, and then I, I was like, you like armpits? And he's like, yeah, I, I do. And I'm like, well, fucking a, tap my armpit. Yeah, you know what I mean? and like exactly. And it was just like now that I know this little thing. It's like I don't know. It it fires me up too to know that like oh if I'm like riding him like this and like I see him kind of like put his face towards my armpit and I'm like oh yeah like get it get uh -huh. that armpit you know like <laughs> yeah it's like it, it makes me so like excited and adds like a an element yeah to, you know whatever intimate re like interaction you're having it's like oh you like that like I want to give you more of that now like you want that you know and yes. so um I love that um so I really do have a fetish for fetishes. Yeah, fetish um, for fetishes. I love that. Yeah, and then I would say, you know, I don't have a foot fetish, but I will say it feels really good when people do the thing where they put, like, the whole end of your foot in their mouth. Yep. I used to be really ticklish, but after a while I was like, ooh. <laughs> I'm not, like, into it. Like, I wouldn't request it. Right. But, like, when I'm shooting it and um, and they're doing it, I'm like, this yeah. actually feels really nice. Yes. Like, on your heel? Like or when like they put like the toes, like the whole the whole, whole the whole brick of your toes yes, in, yes. in their mouth, and you, you know, feel and you, like their molars kind of on your feet. Yeah, I I, I also like love warm that. and wet. Yeah, yeah, I like that, but I also like my heel being bitten. I feel like that feels really good Ooh. too. Yeah, <laughs> I have to stop myself from like kicking them in the face when they do that because my my reaction is like the knee jerk, like oh, tickle, freak out because it's ticklish. Yeah, yeah, but um. Yeah, and then, I don't know, I, I definitely had a thing for, like, a consensual non-consent, um, oh, but that's yeah. very, that's like, specific fantasy-oriented, yes. like, I want it to be very much, like, fakey, fun, sexy, where it's like, oh, like, they're staring me in the eyes and holding my face and they right. just can't stop, you know, but it's, like, not anything realistic. Right. At all. Like the cover, that would be really of a, triggering. the cover of a romance novel kind of. Yeah, way. exactly. Yeah. And it's so funny because for the longest time I always was like, well, you're not really hardcore enough. And I'm like, no, 
I just want to be romanced yeah. in a way that I, I can't escape it. You yes. know, like very like, yes, very, the ravishment. Uh, romance novel. Yeah. The ravishment want fantasy. To be very fantasy ravished. Yes. And, and while I'm dressed up like an elf. Right. Like, I get that. Obviously. Yeah. I'm just a terrible deviant because that's like pretty much, if you ask like, what's your fetishes or your kinks or whatever, like that's kind of like the only thing that pops up in my head is the fantasy. Because I've just like, I've, you know, people are like, what kind of porn do you watch? And you know, lots of porn stars watch porn and they're into it and stuff. That's cool. I just am like, my whole entire adult life has been porn. So it just doesn't just doesn't yeah it doesn't spice things up for me personally um but that probably something about the transgression and the the big taboo of it and like being a woman and um you know that's I think it like also yeah it like also (laughs) heals some trauma by taking that storyline and then making it your own and making it like fantastical and intimate and like you know, it in yours. And you and get to think, control it. You know, yeah, you're and the like, one you who can, can control what's happening. And, yes. Yeah. And um, so that's, yeah, that's, it's pretty common too. It's very common. <laughs> I, I think it's like one of, I, it's funny because do you remember for the longest time, nobody talked about it. And then all yes. of a sudden it, it like snowball affected or affected, I don't know, yeah. on the internet. And yeah. people were like, oh, I have that too. I have that too. I have that too. Everybody yes. was saying that. And it's like, oh, finally, we can talk about this. Exactly. Yeah. I remember I mean, one of the earlier scenes I did was with Nina Hartley. And she's obviously like so educated and, and she's so smart and she talks about all this stuff. And I remember I knew this about myself for a really long time. And I felt shame about it. I felt ashamed oh, that like I had that same. as a fantasy. Yeah. And deep, deep shame. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, this isn't right, but um, but I can't help what thoughts are in my head and my my fantasy is in my imagination, you know. And she was just like, what happens in your head is happening in your head. And like just because you want just because you want to have a fantasy come to life in a controlled environment does not mean that you want a, a bad thing to really happen to you. And it's okay for those two things. Like you can compartmentalize those two things in your mind. And she is the one who just like explained it all to me. And then I was like, well, shit, I think I should be talking about this maybe like, and cause I'm yeah. sure there are other people out there who feel like I do. And it's like, you don't have to feel ashamed about having these feelings and these thoughts. And I remember the first time I said that to somebody and cause somebody was talking about how, you know, the only kind of porn that shouldn't be allowed is rape porn or, you mm-hmm. know, something. It was like consensual non-consent yeah. porn, basically, is yeah. what they were saying. Yeah. But how they how they said it was, you know, that word. And yeah. um, and I remember like being like, okay, you're making a decision right now. I can tell I can tell I'm about to say something. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I actually shoot a lot of that. And I think it's really healthy. And that's why I shoot it. Because I think that for a lot of people, it's extremely healing coming from my own experiences. It's been super healing to like, you know, I I don't know if I described it quite like this, but it was essentially like taking back the story. Yes. And, um, you know, this person was a civvy and they were just like, oh, and then of course they were like, you shoot that, (laughs) you know, oh no. (laughs) But, um, but the person who they were talking to was trying to express that they liked that. Right. And they obviously were coming from a place of shame because they were very like unsure. And, and yeah. I was like, I, 
and this was before the conversation and I didn't, I wasn't saying this to everybody, but I remember this one time being like, I think it needs to be said right now that you're not a bad person for liking this. Yes. And it's okay. And maybe just let yourself like things as long as it's consenting adults doing consenting things. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And that's my thing. It's like, man, if you want someone to take a dump on your chest, you find the person that wants to take a dump on your chest. (laughs) Like, and I don't want to have anything to do with it. But like, if that's what makes you two happy, like fucking go for it. You're not hurting anyone else. Like do it, you know? And that's the thing. It's it's a hundred percent all about consent across the board. And that's like with any kink or all that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, just talking about, talking about kinks. So, <laughs> so that was like a multi-tiered answer to a somewhat simple question C. And I hope you're not too disappointed. I hope that helps. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you can keep enjoying my belly button fetish videos. Well, I think we made it clear that it's incredibly enjoyable shooting that sort of thing, even if it's not our personal fetish. Absolutely. Like I have a lot of things that I shoot that aren't my personal fetish totally. that I still authentically love, love shooting to make. So, yes, you know. And I think that, like what you're saying, that like fetish for fetishes and that curiosity about fetishes is what makes us good at like making custom videos for people. Yeah, because you get all kinds of requests and things that you might feel like a little off the wall but then it's like getting into the psychology of it is what's so interesting for us and fun and yeah i mean i feel like i'm an uh, a a person who sees sex as experiences and adventure and trying new things and like i love the experience of sex so it doesn't have to be you know, just the one thing that I want all the time. I want to right. know what this person wants and this person wants. And exactly. I'm authentically slutty. I'm not, yes. I'm not, not singularly <laughs> slutty. <laughs> I love that. Authentically slutty. Um, I'm going to have shirts made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just out of curiosity, what was that company that you worked for that, that did all those wild fetishes? They no longer exist. In okay. Some of their videos, they took them all down. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, man, I can't even think. They lived or they live. They uh, mm-hmm. they shot out of Portland, Oregon. Oh, okay. Um, kink, kinky? No, God, I can't remember. I, m- I remember the guy who ran it, but um, yeah, there's been a few companies in Portland, but it's always kind of like you very have to underground. Find yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This this guy was like not somebody I would recommend working with, but because I did at the time that I did, it worked out for me, but I would yeah. never tell anybody else to work with. Right, Let's just right. put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, have, so I think I might know, but, um, but yes. So yeah. thank you so, so much for being a guest. Oh, you've just yeah. been such a wonderful guest and this was lovely. Thank you so much. Jen. Yeah. I'm just heartbroken. We didn't get to spend more time together before you uh you escaped (laughs) but we will in the future i very much hope so please before we leave can you tell my listeners exactly where to find all of your naughty filthy porn stuff and also where they can find your beautiful filthy art stuff yeah um you can find me on twitter and instagram um with the username glass olive and then you can find my website at uh oliveglass.me my only fans is onlyfans.com slash olive glass 
Um, and my, uh, my Etsy is etsy.com slash shop slash glass olive art. So yeah, you can find, I think that's basically it. I think you can find everything from there. <laughs> Perfect. Lots of places to yes. interact with you and support the work that you do. And anywhere, I think the most important one is um, me, which is my website. So. so go there and then you can find all the other things that Olive yep. does and you can spend your money and support the wonderful art that she makes. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on today. Oh, thank you so much. It, literally just a joy, an absolute joy. <laughs> And thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the Sage Advice podcast. The main thing that I need so badly right now is for you to send me your advice questions. Do you have burning questions about the sex that you're having or not having, about the relationships that you're in or not in? Or maybe you've been curious about how porn works actually behind the scenes, what's really going on ask me these questions and you can please send those questions to sinsagepodcast at gmail.com. Tried to make it easy for you to remember. You spell sin with two N's, sinsagepodcast at gmail.com. We need your questions. Please send them in. And thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you get out there and you live your life authentically. Mm -hmm.